This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to a very special Liverpool Echo podcast with me, Joe Rimmer, and I'm delighted to say today I'm joined by Neil Jones, and that, of course, is not all. Neil and I caught up with a man who, in my opinion, was one of the most naturally talented footballers of the 1990s. He was a man who could shoot with either foot, he was quick, he was tall, he was powerful, and he had a great eye for goal. He joined Liverpool for a then-British record £8.5 million in the summer of 1995, going on to have two seasons with the Reds, scoring 28 goals in 64 games. He forged a deadly partnership with Robbie Fowler and was part of an exciting Roy Evans side. We chatted to him about his role in that famous 4-3 victory over Newcastle in 1995, that partnership with Fowler, and we got his thoughts on Liverpool's current deadly front three. Um, he's a man who's since gone on to become a columnist, a radio personality, and of course a champion of mental health issues within football. I'm delighted to say that we're joined by the one and only Stan Collymore. Enjoy. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, Stan, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're here to look ahead to the Newcastle game. <laughs> is that, to you, is that the iconic moment of your career in terms of, in terms of one specific moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... You know, in context, it was two teams that were going for the title then. Ironically, we handed the title to Man United by uh, <laughs> by winning that game, which I'm, I'm constantly reminded of when I go to uh, to Old Trafford. Um, but it was just a great game. I mean, it, you know, I was saying a little bit earlier that it, I think it was voted by Sky Sports in their first 10 years as the great sporting moment voted by fans. And I think that the Manchester derby where Mike Lowen scored the winner was voted the best moment after 20 years, but then it jumped on a generation, so it was what they remembered. But in terms of a one-off game, and I've commentated on 700 plus Premier League games, um, played in a lot, um, been involved in the game for a long time, genuinely, I've watched that game back several times, and I haven't seen a one-off game at Premier League level from minute one to the last minute that had so much attacking quality. A lot of people say, well, there were defensive mistakes. Of course, there has to be for goals to be scored. Um, but in terms of a one-off moment, I mean, I, could, I travel around the world a lot now. Um, and it doesn't matter where it is, somebody will always come up and say, Collymore closing yeah. in. It's like I was in, I was a student, I was a this, I, my wife was gi- giving birth and I tried to get to the pub <laughs> and all. So, uh, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. It's the type of game that sort of transcends generations, isn't it? Because I was eight when, when that game was played and there's probably people in our office who were like four or five, but everyone knows Colin Moore closing yeah. in, everyone knows about it and everyone will talk about it like it is one of the, the greatest Premier League games, wouldn't they? It is, and I, th- I think the reasons why is, is because what we love about English football um, played out in that game. Uh, there's always been talk about what what is English football now with lots of players diving and cheating and has that come from abroad or are we just as guilty and what those are two two sets of players playing at a really high tempo with a lot of technical quality with some fantastic goals with strike partnerships which are almost dead now um, myself and Robbie Fowler there was uh, Faustino Esprit and Les Ferdinand great attacking midfielders, players like Steve McManaman and David Ginola. So it was like the very best of English football. If you watch the game back, 
when we watch games from sometimes other leagues, um, and I think this is getting a little bit like this in the Premier League now, there is this kind of rarefied air group that are just handing out hidings to the rest, yeah. week in and week out. Um, and the ebb and flow of the game between two teams, it just kind of epitomised, and that's the one thing I get back from a lot of people that I chat to about it, is that it epitomised everything that is good about the Premier League. Um, I don't remember anybody diving, I don't remember anybody rolling over, I don't remember any stoppages, I don't remember the referee getting in the way, I don't remember the referee being talked about, yeah. I don't even know who the referee was on that day. <laughs> so it's kind of like it just was two sets of footballers having a go at each other, whereas now, Premier League football at its worst, instead of us talking about the technical merits of the game or the excellence, we're talking about the ref or a mistake or um, who's, who's dived, who's put in a really bad challenge, what's the manager said. Um, so yeah, from that aspect, it's kind of, it, it, it transcends it because you can just watch it as a football match at any time and go, what a great game. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. What a great game. Well, let's talk about the technical merits of that game. The finish from you in the 90th minute, it was... I, do you think it's an underrated finish? In the uh, I should. Well, it, it was. It was. A, it was a technically bad finish uh, because <laughs> because when you get it on the left hand side, I mean, you're always taught to shoot across the goalkeeper. So, uh, Pavel Cernicek, who, who, who obviously passed in the last few years, which is incredibly sad, um, he had his near post kind of covered. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think oh, I've seen this little spot in yeah. in, in his right hand. Um, because it was very late on in the game and because it was very congested, I just wanted to make sure I got a good first touch so I could just get a shot off. Um, and usually that would be across the goalkeeper because that's where the greater space is or a goalkeeper can get his hand to it. He palms it out, Robbie Fowler or somebody taps it in. Uh, Rushy taps it in. Um, but watching it, I, when it left me foot, I mean, it was, it was past him by the time he got set. Um, and, and when I saw it go in the, the back of the net, then you just kind of like pandemonium and I just remember literally running off and I looked just High gormless yeah. uh, and I don't know why I did that I don't know why I, I just didn't know what was going on so I just pulled the gormless face and run away uh, towards the centenary the Kenny Dalgleish stand now um, but well, I think we were all the, the one thing that I remember over the next couple of days was is that all of the, the newspapers whether it be the tabloids or the broadsheets bearing in mind that Liverpool had only ever really needed to make uh, celebratory uh, versions of the newspaper if they'd won the European Cup or won another title or another cup, is that all of the newspapers had celebratory editions, which I thought was really strange for a city that is so used to it. There was no trophy at the end of it, it was just mm -hmm. a really good game. So everybody kind of knew, Andy Gray said he was honoured and privileged to be there. Martin Tyler, which I've seen many times, said it's the best game he's commentated on. All the players in the next couple of days um, said that it was the best game they'd played in, even people that played in European Cup finals and won league titles. Even chatting to people, you know, as um, people like David Ginola and uh, Faustino Spree, I saw in Brazil at the World <laughs> Cup. Uh, and it was me and Martin Tyler in a lift in Sao Paulo, and we got to the top, walked out, and there was Faustino Spree. And he turned around to me and he said, you stopped me from getting a winner's medal. <laughs> um, so it was, forget, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it was just one of those things that, ev that nobody forgot and everybody was really aware that it was a very special game to take part in. I think that was the most important thing. Can I ask about that team to play in that Liverpool 95-96 yeah. team? Because I, 
certainly can see it, and I've, I've spoken to people who say it, yeah. similarities with the current side in yeah. terms of capable of winning Scored loads of goals, couldn't defend when it mattered. I mean, that's just the reality, and I, I think that the one thing I want to see from Jurgen Klopp as a manager now is to be able to match the back of the team with the front of the team, because there is so much potential there, there are so many goals, there is so much to kind of lord about Liverpool going forward. There it then becomes, I mean, the, the interesting comparisons, I think that Dwight York and Andy Cole scored less goals than Robbie Fowler and I in the, in the two seasons that they played together, two seasons that we played together. 102 you Yeah, but York and Cole will be put in the, in the sort of pantheon of great partnerships. I don't think that Robbie and I are, are, are up there, but York and Cole rubber stamped it with European Cup and, and yeah. the treble. And they should be as thankful for the players that were behind them because that then cemented their... Whereas a lot of people say, oh, well, you, you lot kind of uh, underachieved. But if you actually look at the amount of goals, if you're looking at somebody who's like, what is my job? My job is to score goals and create goals. Is that I don't think Robbie and I could have done very much more, in, in all honesty, over the two seasons with there, let's say 102 goals, which is outstanding. Um, but I think that after the Newcastle game, it was most telling, I think we went to Coventry and I think we drew. Yeah, we actually got beat. I think uh, Steve got beat. Leg and, and got beat. So we there. got beat and that was, that was it. It's like, and the, the, three points is only three points. It would have been better to, you know, to get a point at home against Newcastle and go and beat Coventry because we've got four points yeah. rather than the three that we got. Um, whereas if you remember Manchester United, particularly when they won their first title and the second one, Cantona 1-0. They'd win the game one 0 That was it, and that's that's basically the difference between winning leagues and not. And that's my worry for Liverpool. He's not the entertainment value, not that they're not making strides in the right direction, but the goalkeepers, the back four, they now have to get right if they're going to win the title. Because Manchester City are going to keep spending, Manchester United are going to keep spending, Spurs are going to keep getting better. You would argue Arsenal have to do something in the next couple of years. You know, there are six teams now that, unless you you match the other teams toe-to-toe, you can go from second to sixth in a season. Yeah. You mentioned partnerships earlier, and you actually said the partnerships are dead. Um, would you not count Salah, Firmino, that sort of thing as a partnership? They are, but it's kind of like, it's. I remember sort of Gerard and Torres being yeah. touted as a partnership. I mean, I think that what we mean is, is, is that from striker's perspective, the classic pairing with, with, with Liverpool, Keegan and Tosha, yeah. big and little. And, and and remember being taught when when you, I mean, of course, most teams played four four two. Is that strike partnerships are never really meant to be more than ten yards apart. Mm-hmm. They work around each other and off each other. So it's slightly different when you've got players coming from the right or a little bit deeper and and what have you. But they are a modern strike mm-hmm. partnership. I just think it's the fact that nowadays there are, I can't think of of many strike partnerships anywhere across the world because of the way that teams set up with three behind a one or or two behind a four. Um, but they've been exceptional. Like I say, I think that, that Firmino has kicked on in terms of his... Because people looked at him and said, oh, his work rate and he runs lots. But his technical ability has been exceptional this mm-hmm. season. He's been very clever in his play. Mm-hmm. I think Salah has been sensational. I think that, you know, everybody knew when he went from Chelsea... To, uh, to Roma that I thought is he is he going to now kick on is he going to add quality to the pace and the fact that people are already talking um, you know hopefully whispered uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid and clubs like that already shows 
what impact he's had. But they're as close as it gets to a partnership, or not unorthodox strike partnership, and certainly not one in the in the old school way, but very much a modern one. And, and, and like I say, there's no concerns whatsoever when you see Liverpool going forward. I just think that for winning trophies and keeping those players for beyond two or three or four years, keeping more clean sheets means more trophies, means they end up staying longer. So it's in Jurgen Klopp's better interest to look at, you know, I mean, if you look at the goalkeepers, comparatively, Lloris, David De Gea uh, in particular, um, compared to to um, Mignolet and uh, and Carius, I just don't think they're in the same league. That's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to have players at the other end of the pitch that are delivering week in and week out, and players at the other the other end of the pitch that don't match them, eventually something's going to give, and that's usually well, I'll go to Barcelona, where I'm pretty much guaranteed a trophy every year. Yeah, I mean City have shown how much they're willing to spend on defence. For yeah. a great attacking team, Liverpool have shown the first sign of that with Van yeah. Dijk. Do you yeah. think that's a welcome step? Yeah, without a well. doubt. I think that Matip's got to show a lot more in terms of consistency. Um, lots of promise followed by, you know, yeah. un- below you, par. You fancy yourself playing against Matip? I think you do. I mean, Crikey, fancy yourself playing against. I mean, if we best because they're all the thing I can't get over now is how tiny everybody is. I, <laughs> I was at uh, Spurs against uh, when John Stones was at Everton a couple of seasons back and he was like, you know, six stone yeah. really wet and it's like you're crossed <laughs> in the old gloves, you just stick him on your back and carry him around for 19 minutes. <laughs> but um, I think that Van Dyke, I was at these, the Derby game, um, you know, getting on the score sheet and, and he's, he's really important, not for a defender, but just to get your feet under the table and big fee. Um, they need to find a partnership that works for 15-20 games that kind of blows everybody else out of the water and that ob- obviously I think that from, from Klopp's perspective would be Matip and, and Van Dijk they just need to play games together and, and be comfortable playing together but the biggest concern for me is it, it, it isn't even the defenders in the back four it's goalkeepers because you often ask great defenders um, going back to you know, look at Bruce and Pallister and people like that. They had difficult times. Central defenders do, but when you, then you've got a goalkeeper that is is then the real sort of last line of defence. They grow in everybody grows in confidence. So I just think that Liverpool need to make sure that 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 very last line defence um, is up there with some of the great goalkeepers that Liverpool have had in the in, in the past. And I don't think they're quite there yet. So I don't think it's a case of looking at. Any particular right back or central defender, I think they've got to get the goalkeeper right. Is there anyone on your travels and watching games that you've spotted that you think that could do that job for Liverpool? It'd be very difficult. I mean, I was a kind of advocate before Joe Hart went on loan to West Ham because I was thinking, well, it's a it's a World Cup season, it's an opportunity for him to play at a big club. You know, he's an experienced goalkeeper now. Would he step up to the plate? I think that you only have to see James Milner. James Milner's been at Newcastle, Leeds, Villa. Manchester City and Liverpool, five of the biggest clubs in the country. And, and he said, you know, this is the biggest club I've played for. Um, so I, I, I still think there is room for a an experienced... Because, you know, I think it's still true now. Most goalkeepers don't get to their very best till they've gone 30. Mm. If somebody of that kind of experience and calibre, rather than looking for the next great young thing, because David De Gea, when he went to Manchester United, had a tough yeah. first year. But he had very good defenders in front of him. Um, 
there's nobody off the top of their head, but I, I, I certainly think if they could do a deal with a goalkeeper such as a Peter Cech kind of figure that is in his 30s, that is experienced, that, is, that for me would make a massive difference to Liverpool and give them a big experience, a shot in the arm of title winning experience yeah. as well. A Cech, uh, Joe Hart, that of course both won titles. Yeah, if we just finish Stan with a, a question about yourself and your own Liverpool career. Yeah. Um, only two seasons, but were they potentially the best football you played for, for uh, Forest probably, yeah, Forest probably leading up to that because I was playing as an out and out striker and it was kind of like the roles were reversed. It was like Robbie was always yeah. going to score more goals than me, so I had to move around him. I did that, did that quite well. But at Forest, I was more the sort of out and out striker, and it was Brian Roy that was playing behind yeah. me, creating a lot of chances. But those four years, really, I mean, the goals to game ratio between Forest and Liverpool was a goal every one point two games or something and, and the assists are up there now I mean it's quite funny you can't uh, go on Twitter without tripping over an assist of some description but uh, Opta didn't bother with assists <laughs> even but as, as, as you know little ago as 1997 so uh, if anybody from Opta can go back through the through the two seasons with Robbie Fowler I, I'm especially keen to see how many assists uh, we got for each other yeah absolutely. and obviously just just very finally I mean did that Liverpool team was fondly remembered but didn't win anything. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I think I've gone on record many times and said, you know, if we'd have had... Roy Evans was a very different man and manager to Alex Ferguson. And it would be unfair to say if we had one and they had the other. But Liverpool and Manchester United squads were very evenly matched in terms of ability. Uh, they went on to dominate a generation, we didn't. But I think if we'd have had a, a managerial structure that reined people in, because there were young lads that wanted to go out, not, not all the time, there was a lot of mythology, but if you remember Fergie would go into a club and get dragged out Ryan Giggs like and kind of, you know, de the way we dealt with Wayne Rooney early on, is that I think that probably if we'd have had that, it would have been a lot closer than it, than it, than it ended up for sure. Yeah. Well, well, thanks, thanks so much. No worries, good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.